What's going on, world? Welcome to The New Narrative. This is a show where we discuss everything from politics, philosophy, theology, social issues, economics, and more from a biblical perspective. The main objective of this show is to find truth. What is the truth about all these matters, and how should we respond once we have a greater understanding of the issues? Let's discuss. Welcome, people. This is The New Narrative. Today, we have special guest Alex Newman. He is an author and writer for The New American. His most recent books include Crimes of the Educators, which talks about the deliberate dumbing down of our children, and also Deep State, which goes into details about the shadow government and who's running things behind the scenes. Welcome to the show, Alex. Thank you so much for having me, Rashad. Great to be with you. Thanks. Thanks for coming on. So, Alex, um, I want to talk to you because recently you uh, gave a speech about a cashless society. Um, So I wanted to get some details about that Um, in regards to this cashless society. Who's pushing this? And also, what kind of dangers would, would this pose for the American people? Yeah, I, I think this is one of the most significant near-term threats that we're facing. They want to abolish cash and move us toward a kind of digital currency that would be completely monitored, completely controlled, completely under the control of the mega banks and the governments of the world. It's you know it's self-evidently dangerous, but I, I hope people will think through the implications of this. Right? Once once you have a cashless society, you can no longer create anonymous transactions. You can no longer buy and sell things without the government and the banking system knowing about it. You can no longer work without the government and the banking system knowing about it. You can no longer hire people without the government and the banking system knowing about it. And if you live in a perfectly free society where the government is benevolent and everybody is uh, just singing Kumbaya together, okay, yeah, maybe that would work. Uh, The problem is there are no such societies on the planet. We know that uh, government power attracts bad guys and psychopaths and sociopaths like, um, you know, like dog excrement attack attracts flies. Mm -hmm. And so it's incredibly dangerous to hand this power over. Uh, And, you know, in the era of cancel culture, the, the danger should be even more obvious. You've got uh, people who are losing their bank accounts because they expressed an opinion that the bankers don't like, right? Maybe they said that we should have border security. Maybe they said that uh, boys are boys and girls are girls. Oh my goodness, the heresy, right? And so they're they're being deplatformed. They're losing their credit cards. PayPal is shutting them down. Uh, you know, just think about if we move to a cashless society. And then the second part of your question, who is pushing this? Uh, you know, the simple answer is Satan. Uh, I'm only half kidding. Yeah, ultimately. <laughs> right. uh, but, you know, more uh, more in the physical, uh, we know they, they actually proudly put their names on a list. So if you go over to the Better Than Cash Alliance, which uh, their website is betterthancash.org, you can see the whole list of their partners there. You've got virtually every UN agency. You've got the US Aid, which is the US Agency for International Development. You've got um, the credit card processing companies. Surprise, they want to make two or 3% off of every transaction, you know, who can blame them? They're, they're capitalists pursuing profits. I, you know, I don't blame them for that. I blame the governments and you do have lots and lots of governments involved aside from the U S government. You've got uh, multiple Islamist dictatorships. You've got multiple communist dictatorships. You've got multiple, uh, corrupt regimes involved. You've got, I mean, you've got the, the communist regime enslaving Vietnam is one of the, uh, promoters, one of the partners of this and the big foundations, of course, Bill Gates, through the uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. I I suspect part of it is also uh, greed. You know, Bill Gates owns much of the computer software that the world operates on. And hey, if all 
transactions have to go through his computer systems. Maybe he can skim a little bit off the top, but on a deeper level, I think the guy is, is a raging totalitarian. Uh, I think he, he wants the world to operate very much in the way that uh, communist China operates. We've got the Ford foundation was one of the organizations that originally launched this better than cash Alliance. And you know, they're, they're marketing it now as if it's like this new idea, a response to coronavirus, but uh, really it's this better than cash Alliance came around in 2012. So they've been on this mission for quite a while, Rashad. Wow. Wow. Unbelievable. Do you think that the, the American people can work around the system if this does come into effect? And do you think um, people will be, be able to trade outside of this system? I do. Um, you know, I, I think, first of all, there's a lot of smart people on our side and uh, they will be able to find workarounds. Secondly, uh, you know, the idea that the only store of value is the currency issued by a government is, is self-evidently ludicrous, right? I mean, in fact, if you want to preserve your wealth, storing it in the form of U.S. dollars or euros or British pounds or Japanese yen or Mexican pesos or, you know, take your pick. Uh, that's a really dumb idea unless you don't mind losing a big part of your savings every year that passes. So, um, you know, I, I think as this kind of system is implemented, alternative networks for trade will be set up. I think barter will become much more significant. And, you know, I, I'm not a huge advocate of barter. Barter is primitive. There's huge limitations to barter. Uh, the, the double coincidence of wants, you, know, you need to find somebody who has what you want and who wants what you have and who's also willing to trade what you have at a price that you're willing to accept. So, you know, the barter is, is a very primitive and I would say suboptimal way of trading. But, you know, the idea that they're going to be able to ban everything that people might use to as a medium of exchange is, is silly, I think, at least at this point. Right. Uh, we know they have tried to ban gold and silver in the past, right? Actually, by executive order, FDR banned uh, gold ownership, which was pretty crazy. Right. And it wouldn't surprise me if they tried that again. But will people continue to trade in gold? Of course they will. Right. So basically, once this mark of the beast system comes into effect, we won't be completely screwed. We, we still have a little bit of means to, to eat and um, transactions can still be conducted outside the system. Yeah, I'm convinced yeah. of that. And, uh, you know, there, there's also a lot of passages in the Bible that I think really should encourage believers. Uh, if you read in Matthew, for example, uh, Jesus talks and, and explains to you, you know, what, what, are you, what are you worried about that you're going to starve? Right? I mean, hey, look, look at these birds. Right. right? They, you know, the, the birds, they, they don't store up their food. They don't reap. And so, uh, and yet God feeds them. Wow. Right. Imagine that. Right. Uh, look at those flowers, right? They're not busy spinning and, and, and weaving and stuff. And yet look, God clothed them in the most beautiful clothes you ever saw. Um, and so, you know, I, I think for Christians to be worried about this, uh, in fact, for Christians to be worried about anything, I think is an improper response. God commands us on more occasions than I can count. Fear not. I right? don't be worried. Don't right. worry about what tomorrow will bring. So I, I don't think Christians should be worried. And, and for those who are worried, oh, my goodness, this, uh, you know, satanic crazy system, we're not going to be able to buy or sell. You know, just think of Elijah. Uh, Elijah was out in the desert and, and God very interestingly used ravens to bring food to him. So, you know, God can feed us any which way he so chooses. The idea that God is just going to abandon us and let us starve uh, is foolish. And we know that, uh, you know, if this system is the mark of the beast, and I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that we are seeing uh, at least the, the beginnings of that system coming into mm -hmm. view now, if it is that, 
Uh, the Bible is very clear about what happens if you take this mark. I would encourage right. people, uh, even non-believers, go read the book of Revelation. Um, I started actually my my journey into the Bible reading the book of Revelation, and it was it was eye-opening. And you'll see there very quickly that for the people who take the mark, it's not going to go well. So, Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, when I do read that scripture, I look at what's going on today and I say, I ask myself, I mean, what else could it be? Because it just, it, it lines up perfectly with what was talked about in revelations. And I see that the, the infrastructure for that kind of system is being set up before our eyes. So, um, you know, it's definitely something to pay attention to. Uh, do you think that a digital ID will be tied in to uh, this cashless system? Or, or I should say, do you think the vaccine will be tied into this uh, digital ID or, or cashless system? Almost certainly. In fact, uh, it's, it's not speculation on my part. They've been very clear about the direction they want to move us. And if you look at the Rockefeller report in 2010 called um, Future of Technology and International Development, one of those super boring titles that nobody right. ever reads. <laughs> you can yeah. pass right by it and not even think twice about it. But if you look in there, in, in one of the, they had four different uh, scenarios that they thought would be uh, conducive to advancing the new world order. And one of those was called lockstep. And in lockstep, you have this hype. And remember, this was released in 2010, but you have right. this hypothetical pandemic coming out of China that is going to cause the world to turn toward authoritarianism. And one of the measures that they discuss is the move toward these global biometric IDs. Now, they've also had this in the works for a very long time. If you go to ID2020.org, you'll find all the usual suspects, including the Rockefeller Foundation, including right. the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Uh, they're very proud of their little global ID scheme. And as you read their website, you see they're talking about uh, global biometric IDs for every person on this planet. We're not talking about, you know, your driver's license issued by your state anymore. And right. they're also very clear that your medical data will go in there. And so Bill Gates has been funding for years now, all kinds of different technologies and research aimed at increasing the tracking of people's vaccination records. And some of the stuff is just incredibly creepy, mm -hmm. right? Uh, for, for example, they're funding uh, work at the National Institutes of Health where they're studying the use of luciferin and luciferase. These are a right. true, true story. Uh, these are bioluminescent compounds and they're hoping that they will be able to uh, use that to help track people's vaccination records. So another thing that Bill Gates funded uh, at uh, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology was the idea of putting uh, invisible tattoos on people when they get their vaccine that would use these bioluminescent compounds. And it would be, you could kind of scan a person with a smartphone to see whether they have received their vaccines. Right. Very, very troubling stuff. This is the direction that they're going in. They've already got global databases. I mean, Interpol already has a you know global database and we've had seen your law enforcement officials in the United States talk about how, uh, you know, in the not too distant future, when, when some, when a cop pulls you over or something like that, they're not going to be just checking in your state, local and federal databases. They're going to be going into global databases. So that's the direction they're going. They want to integrate the, the health information, the vaccine information, your cryptocurrency, your, your digital currency systems, your biometrics, right? Your facial structure data, your iris scans and all of it. That's the direction they're moving. Now, will they be able to accomplish this in the near future? 
I don't know. I can't say, you know, I, I was actually tremendously surprised by how quick so many people were, were willing to give up their liberties in response to this coronavirus. If you had right. asked me in February, I would have said, no, you know, the, the resistance would be too, too fierce. They might be able to get some dummies, but certainly not the overwhelming majority of the population. And yet here we are. So I don't know. I think it's theoretically possible. We could see this in our lifetimes. It may take longer, but we shall see. Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, actually, I wanted to ask you about the uh, the Microsoft patent that you spoke about um, in, in, um, in relation to the cryptocurrency. Um, I think that you, you said that, um, well, I actually looked this up, Microsoft patent, patented a uh, cryptocurrency that um, censors your or, or uses your body activity um, as a sensor or they have a sensor that picks up your body activity. Um, and I think the patent number, if I'm not mistaken, it's the W2020-060606. And then you talk about the uh, Lucifer race. That's uh, an enzyme that um, I guess gives off a light. Now, Bill Gates, obviously he has knowledge of this do you think this is um, maybe some, do you think he's playing a joke on the, the population? Because I'm sure that he knows about the relationship between the number 666 and Lucifer. Do you think this is being done on purpose? Do you think he, um, you know, he, this humors him? Or what, what do you think his intention is behind this? Because I, I just, I find it way too coincidental. And if you bring this up to people, you know, obviously I say, nah, that's crazy. That's ridiculous. There's no way. <laughs> Yeah. What's your take on that? Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah, I get the sense that Bill Gates knows full well what he's doing. I get the sense that he has uh, uh, an in-depth understanding of what's really happening in the world. I don't think he is the kind of bumbling, well-intentioned, you know, if nerdy and goofy uh, guy that he plays on TV. I think he understands this full well. And actually just in the last few weeks, Rashad, I, I've heard multiple people say this. I got to repeat it. You know, the Bible says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. <laughs> <laughs> well, the bill gates of hell will not oh, prevail. Wow. Uh, and I think it's guaranteed. You know, the, the Bible guarantees to us that, um, you know, the, the church will be, and in fact already is victorious. And so, you know, to the extent that Bill Gates thinks he's going to be able to enslave mankind and, and all the rest of it under his little system of, of global tyranny, uh, I think he's deceived, he's deluded. But then again, the Bible is, I think, very clear on all these issues. You know, the, the Bible calls Satan the God of this world. And, you know, I think a lot of people struggle with that. Anyway, Satan's the God of this world. And, and it, it shouldn't be misunderstood. It's not to say that Satan is a God, right? it's nothing of the sort. Right. But it is, I think, a fact that for the majority of people on this planet, Satan is their God. And that doesn't mean that That's they're true. necessarily out there going to, you know, satanic ceremonies and human sacrifices. And, uh, you know, we saw recently at the Texas Capitol, the, the pro-abortion people were chanting hail Satan. I mean, just the creepiest thing ever. Um, but you know, I, I think a lot of them thought they were joking, but the people who worship idols, the people who are deceived, uh, they actually, their God is Satan. Right. And so I think Bill Gates clearly falls into that category. You know, he, he pretends like he's like a non-practicing Catholic, but then when you read his theology, it's not even close to Catholic. It's just, I mean, it's just, uh, overtly, uh, satanic in my view. And he must know these things. I mean, he's got armies of staff. He's one of the richest, at least on paper, people on planet Earth. Uh, the idea that nobody has told him, hey, man, you don't think you're going to freak people out with Luciferin and Luciferase and uh, WO 2020 
06, 06, 06, and, uh, you know, micro needles and tattoos and digital currency. I mean, you don't think you're going to freak people out with that. Of course, Bill Gates knows this stuff. Um, and and I think he probably gets a kick out of it. He probably thinks it's funny. Like, Hey, let's freak out the Christians. This will be great. Uh, I suspect he, he really looks down on us and, and wishes that, uh, we would go away. And in the meantime, he hopes to, uh, try to terrorize people. But I tell people, be encouraged. Uh, the Bill Gates of hell shall not prevail against God's people. So absolutely. Yeah. Because I, you know, I question that and I, I say, well, it's beyond coincidence that, you know, those numbers are affiliated with his, his patent, you know, I, obviously I think so this, too. yeah, it was a deliberate choice. So, you know, as far as what his intentions are, um, I don't think they remain to be seen. I think, you know, we know what they are, but, um, you spoke also about the great reset and a coming economic downturn. Um, why do you think we're headed for economic turmoil? And um, how do you think the great reset relates to that? Yeah, I think we are already in the economic turmoil. It just hasn't become very obvious to people yet because right now they're, you know, they're getting government money. In fact, a lot of them are getting more government money than they were getting when they had a job. <laughs> you get your unemployment plus you get $600 bonus. Isn't that cute? So for a lot of people, you know, Hey, I can still go to Walmart and I can still buy cheap Chinese made junk. That's going to break in a week. I mean, everything's normal. But uh, the reality is the economy, the foundations of the economy have already been blasted to smithereens, right? Uh, the, the economic data I think speaks for itself. We've had 60 million people filing unemployment claims since this coronavirus, uh, the COVID-1984 broke out. Uh, we've had, according to the Federal Reserve and the Bureau of Economic Analysis, we've had uh, over a 33% decline in our gross domestic product just in the second quarter. Okay. That's how serious that is. I mean, when you compare that to the great depression, it really makes the great depression look insignificant by comparison. Uh, you look at the money printing that these people have engaged in the federal reserve on its own has printed literally trillions of new dollars. And right now they're struggling to get them in circulation. I think they're very upset that the velocity of money has not increased more. And I think that's one of the reasons they want to bring in negative interest rates. They want to try to force people to go out and and waste all this money on cheap Chinese, uh, communist Chinese slave labor made junk and uh, try to get the money circulating so that they can inflate away our savings and all the rest of it. So I think that frustrates them. But the reality is once this works its way through the system, uh, I really see no other alternative other than uh, economic turmoil. Like we probably most people alive today have never experienced. Uh, I think uh, one of the people at the Red Pill Expo, uh, Christian Westbrook, the Ice Age farmer, talked about the food shortages that are coming. And, and I, that's been my experience as well. I've interviewed numerous farmers, numerous ranchers. I just got back from Oklahoma, talked to uh, one of the most um, significant cattle ranchers in that region of the country. Uh, what's coming toward us right now, like a freight train? is um, hyperinflation. We may see a period of deflation first. I'll, I'll caution that. You know, we may see um, uh, prices declining in the short term because nobody's really spending money right now. Nobody wants to spend money. But I think over the long term, it's baked into the cake that we're going to have hyperinflation. You add to that the fact that the U.S. dollar is the global reserve currency right now. And so foreigners all over the world hold dollars. Well, once it becomes clear that the U.S. dollar is not going to be the global reserve currency forever, all those dollars are going to come flooding back to the United States, buying anything 
anything that's not nailed down and a lot of things that are nailed down. I mean, stocks, bonds, uh, real estate, businesses, uh, gold, silver, assets, yachts, I mean, you name it, art, wine, any, anything that people can buy with their dollar, just like what happened in, in all the other countries where they've had this kind of hyperinflation, right? People just go out and buy anything and that accelerates the process because on the one side, you have the supply of currency drastically increasing. On the other, you have the demand for that currency you know, falling through the floor and combined that, that leads to economic calamity. Uh, you, you can ask the people of Venezuela, you can ask the people of Zimbabwe and they'll be happy to tell you, you know, what it looks like. It's not pretty. So I think we're heading toward that. I think the elites know this and they are fully intending to use this uh, to bring about what they're describing now as the great reset, which is really a nice way of saying, we're going to make you slaves. We're going to take your property and, uh, and you're going to like it. And they've been very clear about their intentions. Uh, the world economic forum announced this back in June. They had the head of the United nations there, Antonio Guterres, a known socialist, actually the former leader of the socialist international. You had the head of the IMF, the Bulgarian communist, uh, Kristalina Georgi. Jiva. You had the uh, Prince, uh, what's his name? Prince Charles there as well, talking about this. And then you had nine very interesting speakers that uh, I'm sure a lot of thought went into choosing who they would be. You had the CEO of MasterCard. That was interesting. Uh, speaking of cashless society and all of this, you had the CEO of a company called ChipSafe down in mm-hmm. Uruguay. And what this company makes, it's interesting. It, it makes uh, implantable technology. You put this in your livestock and uh, it tracks your livestock's geolocation. So if your cows or your sheep are moving around, your, your systems will let you know. It also tracks their health. And why would they bring in this person to speak in unveiling the Great Reset? Is it because we're all gonna put microchips in our livestock? I don't think so. I submit <laughs> to you that the real reason why they did that is because that's what they're planning to do to people. Right. And you know, what we are the last Sorry, go ahead, Rashad. I said, we are the livestock. That's exactly right. That, and I think that's really how they see us. They, they really view us as stupid farm animals to be used and abused and slaughtered when we're no longer useful. Uh, I really think that is kind of the image that they have of us. And it's uh, it's pathetic and it's dangerous. Now, one of the things that um, the the founder of the World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab, who, uh, as one of the speakers at the at the expo pointed out, he's really like the, the epitome of Dr. Evil. <laughs> I mean, he's like the perfect superhero villain. And one of the things that he said in announcing the Great Reset, he was asked, what is the most important part of the Great Reset? What's the most important transformation? Because they said everything is going to be transformed. And he points at his head and he says, your mindset. That was interesting. Mm. And he talked about this fourth industrial revolution and that this fourth industrial revolution is going to come. And he didn't give a lot of details in his talk for uh, for the Great Reset. But I went back and I looked, well, what has this guy said previously about the fourth industrial revolution? And it didn't take long to find a speech that he gave a few years ago, also at the World Economic Forum where he talked about the Great Reset and he put it very clearly and very succinctly. We're talking about the blurring of the lines between the physical, the digital, the biological, right? And technology. We're talking about the merger of man and machine. Um, and, and they've come out of the closet on this, Rashad. I mean, I'm sure unless you're living under a rock, dear listener, you probably saw uh, Elon Musk of Tesla talking about how they're going to saw a hole in your skull and stick a brain implant microchip in there uh, and then super glue your skull back together. I mean, absolute craziness. And yet it's out in the open now. Yeah. Yeah. They don't care. They're, they're not hiding anything. Um, what do you think people can do to prepare for this? Uh, 
do you, do you think that, um, you know, as when it comes to a means of exchange, when it comes to gold and silver, I always wondered how we would be able to exchange gold and silver. Like if we went into a grocery store, you know, how would that work out um, if we did have a dollar collapse? But what do you think people can do to prepare? Yeah, that's a great question, Rashad. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't have any special insight on this. What I tell people is what I do. And, you know, I, I don't want anybody to interpret this as, as advice because, you know, when, when I tell people I buy gold and silver, I don't want anybody to come back in, in, you know, five years and the government has passed a new executive order banning gold ownership and say, Alex, you told me to buy gold. No, I didn't tell you to buy gold. Okay. I'm not telling you to buy gold. Um, I have purchased some gold and silver. I think that's a wise investment, but I could be wrong. Uh, I have purchased, uh, a decent amount of non-perishable food. I think that would be a good idea. I think you'll outperform the stock market as we heard several times at the expo, uh, probably by a pretty significant margin. Anybody who shops regularly at the grocery store realizes that prices are skyrocketing already. And we haven't even really entered uh, the the turbulence yet, uh, at least not to any significant degree. So I tell people, make sure you have some food on hand. Um, you know, ammunition is not going to hurt if you're that type of guy. You know, if you think uh, firearms are important, if you uh, want to make sure your family is well defended. It wouldn't hurt you to have a little bit of extra lead. Um, precious metals are good. Uh, I buy some stocks. I figure even in a hyperinflationary scenario, uh, and we saw this in Zimbabwe, the stock market's still going to keep going up, right? The more they destroy right. the currency, the more the value of productive companies and enterprises with real assets will increase. And, you know, I think even more important than all the, the physical preparation, and, and I don't want to downplay that. I think people should be thinking in these terms. Uh, I think we're going to be heading into some really unprecedented, I mean, we already are in unprecedented times. It's just kind of become right. the new normal. I hate that term, yeah. but we are in unprecedented times. If, if someone had told us in February that we would be living in the times that we're living in. Yeah. Nobody would have believed it. It just would have sounded totally crazy. Yeah. So I, I tell people the most important thing is to make sure your relationship is right with God. And that means you got to open your Bible. That means you got to be praying. That means you have got to make sure that all your faith and all your trust is firmly where it belongs, not in man, right? Trump is not going to be your savior. And, and I say that as a Trump supporter, Trump is not our savior. Um, we need to get right with God. And, you know, if, if you're not sure that you're right with God, I tell people, you know, that should be your absolute top priority because people say, well, you know, where, where's it going to be safe? Alex, what, you know, what country can I flee to? Look, I don't think there's going to be any country to flee to. Right. The safest place to be is firmly in Christ, to be firmly where God wants you to be. And at that point, you know, once you're right with God, there's nothing they can do to you anymore. Death has lost its sting, right? What are they going right. to do? They're going to kill you. Oh, yeah, you get a promotion, yeah. right? <laughs> Big Absolutely. deal. So, uh, you know, once you lose the fear of death because you're right with God, uh, then you can just focus on the important stuff. And, uh, and I urge people to do that. So. Absolutely. Um, switching topics, I wanted to ask you about the uh, recent incidents um, concerning the, the police brutality um, and the BLM uh, movements. Um, I'll say this. One of the things that struck me about these riots that took place you know, shortly after the George Floyd incident and Breonna Taylor um, is that I, I saw I noticed a lot of rioting and uprisings taking place taking place across the uh, country. And, you know, I would get into a regular conversation with people and they would tell me, oh, well, you know, don't you see how people, how frustrated people are? And, uh, you know, I thought to myself, well, you know, this doesn't seem 100% organic. It seems that, you know, all these uprisings look like they're being orchestrated. I, I just 
find it very coincidental that all of these things are taking place at certain times and, you know, after certain incidents, um, you know, I look at it like there, there has to be some type of organization going on. You know, there, people have to coordinate times to meet. They're wearing T-shirts um, and, and et cetera. So in your opinion, do you think these protests are organic or are they planned and, and who's funding them if, if anybody is? Yeah, they, they are absolutely not organic. Uh, they have been pre-planned. They, the infrastructure has been laid down. The foundations have been laid down uh, over a period of many, many years. We have documents proving it. So none of this is my opinion. Uh, let's take the Black Lives Matter as one example. Uh, you know, back in 2014, when the unrest in Ferguson was coming to the forefront, uh, we have a memo from the George Soros's Open Society Foundation from their U.S. Programs Board talking about how the Open Society Foundation was going to pour hundreds of thousands of dollars into turning this into a national movement. They were going to develop and train leaders. One of their uh, objectives was to create a national movement and also to dismantle local law enforcement. Uh, another big financier of all these things is the Rockefeller Foundation. Once again, uh, in Minneapolis, for example, one of the key organizations there was a group called the Sunrise Movement. Now, this is an organization that is literally uh, recruiting child soldiers for this war on America. They're very proud of it. You can go to their website and see that the single largest source of funds is the Rockefeller Family Foundation. And uh, they have been organizing in Minneapolis for a long time. In fact, uh, Millennial Millie, uh, a journalist who used to work uh, over at InfoWars, no longer does. She got a lot of the leaked videos from these training sessions where they were actually training children to burn down buildings. One of their leaders called it a legitimate and powerful form of resistance. Yeah, someone died in one of those buildings that your maniacs burned down. That is not a legitimate and powerful form of resistance. So this has been well orchestrated. It's been well organized. It's being funded by billionaires. And none of this is new, Rashad. Actually, if you go back to the 1920s and the 1930s, the Soviet Union and the Comintern, the Communist International, figured out that, uh, hey, you know, the, the whole class warfare thing, that's probably not going to work all that well in America because, hey, their poor people are richer than our rich people. So uh, that probably is not going to sell very well. So they figured out, hey, let's let's try to divide America based on race. And they did. Uh, in fact, we've had whistleblowers who've come out and talked about that. Manning Johnson, who was a high ranking member of the Communist Party. He was a black activist. He was taken over to Moscow for training, for ideological training, and also for uh, training in how to stir up a revolution in this country. He came back and he blew the whistle. He said, oh my goodness, these people are racist to the core. They are in intending to enslave everybody on the planet. They don't care at all about black people. You can read his, his uh, pamphlet. It was called Color, Communism, and Common Sense. Brilliant, brilliant piece of work. Um, and you know that shows you just how back this strategy goes. Uh, the idea that George Soros, who said on national television he had no feeling of guilt or remorse whatsoever for helping the Nazis steal property from Jews when he was a child. I mean, that's the kind of mindset. This is a guy who calls himself God, who's, who says regularly he feels like God. Um, it, it's it's orchestrated from top to bottom. And wow. the question naturally emerges, well, why are super capitalists like Rockefellers, like Soros, like Rothschilds, like Ford Foundation, things like that, why are they financing communists? And the answer is actually not all that difficult once you understand the history of it. So that was my next back. question. Oh, okay. Very good. <laughs> well, go ahead and ask Rashad and I'll answer your question directly. Yeah. No, I was going to ask what, what's the benefit that these billionaires gain from, from funding all this chaos? Yeah. Ex excellent. And we, we saw this in the Bolshevik revolution. I think this is really the first concrete example we have. The Bolshevik revolution was financed 
almost entirely by the wealthiest capitalists in the world, especially those on Wall Street. There's a whole book about this called Wall Street and the Bolshevik Revolution, written right. by uh, Stanford historian Anthony Sutton, I think one of the most important historians of the 20th century. And he uses U.S. State Department documents proving that these gazillionaires, right, the mega bankers of the day, were financing Trotsky and Lenin for the purpose of enslaving Russia. Uh, on the one hand, they eliminated a lot of their competition, right? Russia was a, a, a very powerful nation. It had huge amounts of nat natural resources, uh, and they viewed it as a competing power center to their agenda. And so, hey, let's finance a communist revolution. Let's enslave that nation. We'll harness its power. Uh, we saw the same thing in China, right? The, the communist China was enslaved with deliberate assistance from some of the most powerful people in the United States, like the Council on Foreign Relations. Uh, I mean, they, they stabbed our ally, Chiang Kai-shek in the back. They put an arms embargo on him, despite the incredible assistance he provided us in World War II in fighting the Japanese. Uh, I mean, how in the world could you justify that? And yet they did it. And now we see again, uh, very, very wealthy, prominent so-called capitalists financing revolutionaries. And I think the answer to this, uh, the clearest one that I've found yet from one of their sources comes from a book called Tragedy and Hope, A History of the World in Our Time by uh, a professor of history at Georgetown University, actually Bill Clinton's mentor, Carol Quigley. And he explains that uh, this international Anglophile network, as he describes it, uh, the insiders or the conspirators, if you will, uh, he says they operate very much like the, the radical right, which is you know anybody to the right of Obama believes the communists act. And in fact, they frequently collaborate with the communists. Why? Because they share the same view of humanity. And I think ultimately, Rashad, this, you know, Marxism, I think really is better understood as Satanism. Uh, you know, Marxism is a total and complete repudiation of everything God ordained in the Bible, uh, starting with the obvious things, right? Uh, Marxism wants to get rid of private property. Well, it was God who ordained private property. It was God who said, thou shalt not steal. And so the Marxists come along and say, no, 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 you can't even have private property. We're going to steal everything from everyone. And then maybe we'll redistribute it and we'll, we'll pass out the crumbs as we see fit. Uh, God said, don't covet. And yet Marxism is based at its core on coveting, right? Those guys have more than you. We should go kill them and steal from them so that you can have more, right? It, it is covetousness institutionalized. Uh, God ordained the family. And so what did the Marxists say? What did Karl Marx say? Well, women should be held in common, right? Everybody should be able to do what they want with, with the women. And uh, they'll just be communal women, right? We're not going to have any of this silly monogamous lifelong married relationship. Uh, the raising of children. It's a responsibility that God has clearly delegated primarily to the family with a secondary role for the church. What do they say? No, the, the government, the, the Marxists must raise the children and on every issue. And when you look at the agenda of what I call the deep state of the uber elites, the people who have been financing these communist revolutionaries, it's functionally the same thing. They hate God. They hate what God has ordained, what God has revealed in the Bible. They hate God's people. And as uh, Psalm 2 verse 2 explains to us, the kings of the earth conspire together against the Lord and his anointed one. So this has been going on for thousands of years and it will continue until Jesus returns and smashes it all to little bits. But I think that's really the, the clearest way to understand the agenda, Rashad, is this is just a, a war on God and a war on God's people and a war on what God has ordained. And so the super capitalists of the deep state have 
very much in common in that respect with the Marxist communist totalitarians. Right. And I guess ultimately, um, when you put a communist uh, system in place, I mean, the super capitalists are the ones that sit, sit at the top of that system. And so they they run the government. So they benefit while the average citizen is basically destitute. So, Precisely. I, you know, I guess it makes sense why they would want to fund communism. Um, and, and communist you know, China is a perfect example of that, Rashad. You've got all these billionaires running around who are members of the Communist Party. And then you've got a big part of the population living in, um, you know, third world poverty conditions. Right. And, uh, and yet you're going to tell me that's equality. Give me a break. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that you, you touched on, um, communism basically being, uh, a branch of Satanism. Um, because, you know, recently I, I listened to an interview with this, um, author named Paul Kanger and he wrote a book called, uh, I think Karl Marx and the devil. And I think, uh, Richard Wormbrandt also wrote a book called Marx and Satan years ago. Um, and they talked about how, uh, Karl Marx actually wrote uh, poems to to the devil. So yeah. I, I found that you can read those. You can read those, Rashad. If, um, the book Marx and Satan written by Richard Wurmbrandt is available online for free as a PDF. Uh, and I encourage everybody, you know, go familiarize yourself with this stuff because the idea that Marx was an atheist is an absolute lie. Um, you know, he, uh, his, if you read his poetry, it was very clear. He talks about the deal he made with Satan. He talks about his hatred for God. Uh, it's not that he didn't believe God existed. It's that he hated God and he makes it crystal clear in his poetry. And Pastor Richard Vermbrandt, you know, he's one of my heroes. He actually founded a ministry that I, I think is still one of the best ministries on earth today. It's called Voice of the Martyrs based in Oklahoma. Right. And uh, he spent nine years being tortured by ruthless communist barbarians in a prison, in a gulag in Romania for his belief in Christ. And he wrote a whole book about this called Tortured for Christ, one of the best books I think ever written. Just phenomenal. You know, he, they're torturing him and he's praying for them and they're torturing him and he's you know trying to love on them and then preach the truth to them. Unbelievable wow. testimony. Mm-hmm. And so he got out of there and, he, and his hypothesis was... Man, you know, that the, the fruit of this is just absolutely evil. Uh, Marxism must really be Satanism. So that was his hypothesis. And then he started doing the research and he found, oh my goodness, <laughs> it really is Satanism. Wow. And then the proof is all there for anyone to see. Uh, so unbelievable. Um, now, I, I wanted to touch on, on, uh, some, some BLM, some of BLM's statements, um, you know, when you talk about, uh, Marxism and, and the spiritual beliefs of Karl Marx, uh, recently I, I saw an article and a video by, uh, Patrice Cullors, who's one of the co-founders of, uh, Black Lives Matter. And I think she said that she is a trained Marxist. Now for, for those that are listening, Marxism is basically communism. Karl Marx was the founder of communism, so to speak, for those that don't know what Marxism is. But um, she said she's a trained uh, Marxist. And also, um, I found that uh, she was into or she talked about worshiping ancestors or, um, you know, talking to the the dead victims or spirits of those that died by uh, police brutality or I guess white supremacy. Can you touch on that a little bit? Yeah, I'd I'd love to. And you know, I, I kind of figured this was what was going on from the very beginning. You know, the Bible tells us you can look at the fruit of something and <laughs> tell a lot about it. And you can look at the fruit of Black Lives Matter. And that's burning cities. That's trashed uh, black businesses. Uh, you know, if, if you look, most of the damage that these maniacs have done has been actually to the black community. <laughs> I mean, they've burned down how many black businesses they've, they've murdered, how many black people in these riots. It's absolutely grotesque. 
And so to me, it was very clear. Now we have the proof, right? And, and there's, there's more and more that comes out every day, but there's a, a very long Zoom conversation that was leaked between uh, Patrice Cullors, the self-proclaimed trained Marxist. She said her and Alicia Garza, the, uh, one of the other co-founders was also a trained Marxist. The third co-founder, Opal Tometi, uh, is also a proud Marxist. She went down to Venezuela and took a picture next to the dictator, uh, Nicolas Maduro. And boy, is she proud of that. She put it all over Twitter and all the rest of it. She said, oh, it's so nice to be in a country with uh, intelligent political discourse. And, and in this Zoom conversation between Patrice Cullors and uh, and the co and the actually the founder of the Black Lives Matter Los Angeles chapter, her name is Professor Melina Abdullah. She's a uh, professor of African Studies at Cal State University. And I encourage people to go listen to this for themselves rather than take my word for it. They spend basically 30 minutes talking about their communication with dead spirits. Uh, they talk about raising ancestor spirits. They talk about, like you said, communicating with uh, you know victims of alleged police brutality. And they do it openly. Uh, they talk about making sacrifices. They pour out uh, oblations and libations. They they pour honey out and they they burn tobacco for these dead spirits. And uh, you know this is very very serious, Rashad. If you read your Bible, uh, Bible has a lot to say about this. It, you know, necromancy mm-hmm. is the term the Bible uses for communicating with the dead. First of all, you're not actually communicating with the dead. You're talking to demons. Uh, you know, people who right. think they're talking to the dead, they're being deceived. You're not talking to your dead ancestors. You're not talking talking to someone who died at the hands of the police, you're talking to demons. And the Bible calls this uh, an abomination. It says those who practice these things are detestable unto God. And in fact, uh, in ancient Israel, the, the penalty for doing these types of things was actually death. That's how serious God uh, took this among his people, among ancient Israel. And, uh, you know, to see this now manifesting itself in the United States openly is just, in my opinion, just absolute concrete proof of what's going on. And this wasn't an isolated incident. I mean, if you listen to this conversation, they talk about, you know, this is what it's about. And I've been saying right. this is a spiritual war for more years than I can count. Uh, and then she comes along and says, this is a spiritual war. Um, And and they're actually clear in this conversation. Uh, They are taking these ideas from uh, the Yoruba religion called Ifa, which uh, comes from what is today called Nigeria. And, you know, you don't have to do a lot of research to figure out what's going on here. This, This is a pagan form of ancestor worship. It was a regular occurrence that uh, practitioners of this pagan religion would sacrifice people to these demons masquerading as ancestor spirits. Now they sacrifice animals because ever since Christianity arrived there, they said, hey, sorry, that's unacceptable. You can't keep sacrificing people to your demon gods. But, um, you know, it it just gives you a sense of what's going on here and how serious this is. And and I've got a ton of videos on this, Rashad. I've got a video of a Black Lives Matter curriculum week training program taking place at Howard University where they brought teachers from everywhere and they're actually training these teachers to teach children how to summon what they call ancestor spirits, what are actually Mm. demons into the classroom. And and they're chanting about their ancestor spirits. And they're talking about speak your ancestors into the room. Now we're shifting energy. Uh, One of the videos of, uh, of a black lives matter mob uh, terrorizing uh, the black employees of a McDonald's. Uh, One of the black lives matter, uh, you know, protesters or whatever is carrying on her back, this giant so-called book of spells. And, And this is just the tip of the iceberg. You know, the deeper you dig, the more you'll see that we are dealing with very, very, very dangerous spiritual forces. And the Bible revealed all of this to us without us even having seen any of this. So, 
Wow. And, you know, that's not to discredit anybody that is a, um, a, a member of Black Lives Matter that has a genuine concern for uh, police brutality. I, I don't want to, you know, discredit anybody and, 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 you know, attack anybody, but, you know, who, who really has that that concern for that issue. Um, we're just pointing out the, the spiritual perspective and aspect uh, of this organization, because, you know, I, I feel that people need to be aware of what they're involved in themselves. With, with, you know, people need to be very careful and uh, have some discernment um, in regards to that. Yeah, now, absolutely, Rashad. I agree with you entirely. And uh, you know, when you go to the Black Lives Matter webpage, they they used to tell you their agenda very clearly. They talk about dismantling the family. They talk about children being raised by the village. And you know, I, I think from a Christian perspective. Even the idea of, of separating human lives into black lives or white lives. I mean, I, I think that's an unbiblical perspective. I, I checked out my Bible. There are exactly zero references to race. And so even this idea that we need to divide humanity up into different races, I think, is unbiblical, uh, especially within the church. Right? The, I mean, the Bible is crystal clear that there is unity in Christ. There is no Jew. There's no Gentile. There's no rich. There's no poor. We are all one in the body of Christ. But even outside the body of Christ, I, I think this idea of dividing people up into, you know, different races. And we're all supposed to be antagonistic toward each other. And we're all supposed to identify with like our skin tone. You know, I, I find that very silly. And I, and I sympathize to a great extent with concerns that people have had about, uh, you know, police brutality and things. I, I do think there's some room to reform our police departments. The big problem is the communists have specialized in doing this for a long time. They take things that kind of have a legitimate basis for a grievance. And then they, they, use that as, as a weapon to advance goals that have nothing to do with that. And, and right. that's the communist position. The issue is never the issue. Right. The issue is always the revolution. Right. Absolutely. Um, now, recently we've been hearing about uh, violence from the extreme, you know, or right wing extremists and violence coming from, you know, white supremacists. Um, and I recently had a conversation with a friend who was kind of attacking me and saying that, you know, I'm, I'm not denouncing white supremacy because personally, I don't see it as like a really a major threat. Um, but he didn't talk about the violence on the left. So, I mean, in your opinion, is there any violence coming from the right? Um, is white supremacy or white supremacist groups a threat or would you consider um, the leftist groups to be more of a threat? You know, I actually don't know a single white supremacist and, and you know, <laughs> from, from the media, from the FBI, from all this, you'd think they'd be hiding under, you know, everybody's bed, right? They're all the white supremacists everywhere. I don't know any, I've, I've never actually met one. So I'd, I'd love to actually meet one. And, uh, you know, I'm sure there are some somewhere. I, you know, I feel rather bad for them. It's, it's a silly opinion to hold, but uh, you know, as far as the threat that they might pose, I would say it's, it's next to non-existent. Sure. The FBI might be able to radicalize some, you know, mentally unstable person. I think that's what happened in Michigan. They found some, uh, you know, mentally unstable Trump hating lunatics and said, Hey guys, what do you think? Should we kidnap the governor? And they're like, yeah, that's a good idea. And they got it on recording and then we'll send out the press releases. But, um, you know, I, I think this uh, this whole issue of white supremacy is another red herring. I mean, th there is no white supremacy in America. There is no white supremacy, as far as I know, anywhere on planet Earth. Uh, there are countries where there are predominantly people with light skin, you know, like Poland. And OK, are they not allowed to have a country? You know, it's, it's just a silly argument to me. It would just be like saying, well, you know, the Chinese have Chinese supremacy. How dare they? I mean, what? It doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. So I don't really see. And again, I, I even 
think this whole concept of dividing people into races is rather silly. Right. So as, as far as I'm concerned, the, the alleged threat from white supremacy is, is really just a red herring. Uh, I'm open to being persuaded that there is a legitimate threat, but I'd like to see some evidence first, you know, for, for all the hysteria about it. How come I've never met one? How come I've never seen one? How come there isn't a single, if white supremacists are so dangerous, how come there isn't a single person in elected office in this entire country who says there should be white supremacy? I mean, you know, uh, I I consider government to be uh, a very dangerous force, especially in the wrong hands. And yet, uh, uh, you know, nobody can show me a single example of a white supremacist who's holding uh, any office in the United States of America. So until there's some real evidence, I would say it's it's really just a, a red herring by communists. And, you know, I'm sure there's racists around somewhere. There, there, I'm sure there's people who hate other people based on their quote unquote race. And, you know, I, I think we can feel pity for them. The Bible tells us that anybody who hates somebody uh, is doing the, you know, Jesus tells us is actually murdering them in their heart. That's a very serious sin. They ought to repent of that. But, you know, I, in my experience, I've just never met anybody who, who meets mm-hmm. that criteria. So, yeah, I, I personally, I don't have any experience with, with any either, but um, you know, I have friends that have told me, well, you know, the white supremacists are posing as Antifa and they're posing as black lives matter. <laughs> have you heard that one? No false flag attack. Well, I, I'm glad the left is finally waking up to the fact that there are false flag attacks. Well, you know what? I never looked at it like that, but, but yeah, I mean, just yesterday I had a conversation with a friend. He said, Oh yeah. White supremacists are posing as Antifa and they're discrediting the movement. Oh my and, goodness. and you know, when people say things like that, they're basically shielding Antifa and, and the communists from having, um, or from doing any wrongdoing, you know? Um, so I, I think that's dangerous. Um, now for those that criticize Trump on moral grounds and say that, you know, he is just, he's immoral. He, he's, uh, he's a white supremacist. He's this and he's that. Do you think those same people that support Biden and Kamala Harris, do, do you think they have any moral authority to criticize Trump um, with their support of Biden and Harris? Oh, I mean, it's absolutely ludicrous. Uh, you know, it, to the extent that it's even a legitimate topic of discussion to discuss white supremacy, uh, really, we need to be looking right straight at the Democratic Party. And even more importantly, we need to be looking right straight at Planned Parenthood. Okay, Planned Parenthood was founded by an actual eugenicist who actually believed and actually wrote openly and repeatedly that, uh, you know, she thought people with darker skin were the equivalent of human weeds, that they needed to be removed from the gene pool. And, And not only them, also people who she thought were dumb, also people who she thought were criminal minded, people who were alcoholics. So, I mean, here you have an actual eugenicist who set up an organization which slaughters hundreds of thousands of babies every year, uh, most of them uh, darker skinned babies. I mean, the, the majority of Planned Parenthood abortuaries are set up in minority communities. I mean, to the extent that we're even going to have a legitimate discussion about white supremacy, it must begin with uh, abortion, with Planned Parenthood, with the Democratic Party. And yet we know Kamala Harris is probably the strongest defender of Planned Parenthood around. She, she actually weaponized the office of the Attorney General of California to persecute an, an innocent journalist whose only crime was exposing the criminal baby part trafficking, mass murdering lunatics running Planned Parenthood. Unbelievable. And so, you know, the idea that uh, any any of these people on the left, Joe Biden or Kamala Harris, have moral authority to criticize 
criticize Trump, in my view, is completely ludicrous. Now, does Trump have some moral deficiencies? Of course he does. Uh, you know, I have massive moral deficiencies. You know, as Jesus said, whoever doesn't have any, please go right ahead and cast the first stone, right? right. Um, and, that, and that's why I tell people, Trump is not our savior. Uh, I know very p- few people who actually think of Trump as our savior. Nobody thinks he's perfect. Uh, what we do think is that he is the, you know, a, a barrier between uh, the American people and the liberty of the American people and and Christianity and the church in America and the the radical hordes of radical leftists who want to destroy America, destroy the church, destroy the family, destroy our freedom, destroy our constitution. And so to that extent, yes, we like Trump. But I mean, if we want to talk about moral failings, uh, somebody ought to go watch those videos of uh, Joe Biden sniffing all those children. Let's talk about Joe Biden sniffing of children. Let's talk about Kamala Harris's, uh, you know, way that she got into politics, right, with her uh, extramarital relationship with the former mayor of San Francisco. I mean, yeah, Trump's got some moral failings. I think uh, to a large extent, those days are behind him, at least, you know, the very, very serious stuff. I I do believe that Trump is now, and I've I've heard from people who know him, that Trump really has had a genuine conversion, that he now is uh, a genuine Christian. And if that's the case, God bless him. I'm in the same boat. Before I came to know the Lord, I was a, a drug addict. I was a drug peddling lunatic. I mean, wicked in every possible way. Uh, and only God can save us from that. So, you know, for people who are attacking Trump's morality, uh, you know, I would say let's let's first, uh, you know, whoever doesn't have any sin, you get to cast the first stone. And if you're really concerned about morality, let's talk about the party where the platform calls for butchering babies at taxpayer expense, where the platform uh, openly seeks to exclude God, where the platform seeks to weaponize the federal government to persecute churches who stand by God's definition of family and marriage. Uh, yeah, let's have some talk about morality, but I think it needs to begin in the right place. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, where do you think Biden and Kamala Harris stand in regards to the Constitution? I think they would both love nothing more than to get rid of the Constitution. I mean, in fact, at this point, to talk about what Biden wants or believes is almost a misnomer. I think the guy, uh, you know, and I say it with all due respect, I think the guy has really... Uh, had some very serious mental failings uh, that have rendered him essentially uh, incapacitated. You know, you can tell from when he's talking, uh, he he doesn't know where he is. He doesn't know what he's running for. I mean, the, the guy is clearly starting to lose it. Uh, but Kamala Harris and the people behind Biden and Kamala Harris, I think their objective, one of their objectives is to utterly obliterate the U.S. Constitution because it stands in the way of what Biden calls the new world order. And we, I mean, we have video of Biden advocating for a new world order. They can't get the new world order until they get rid of the constitution because the constitution protects our sovereignty. Uh, it protects the God-given rights of the American people. There's not going to be any God-given rights in the new world order. And so the forces that are propping up Biden and Kamala Harris, uh, one of their top objectives is to eliminate the U.S. constitution. So, hmm. Unbelievable. The reason I ask is because, um, you know, I do have um, family members and friends that are Christian and, you know, they don't support Trump, but they say they support Biden and Harris. Same thing when, you know, Obama was running. Uh, I knew a lot of Christians that supported Obama because they felt that, you know, he appeared to be a, a great man, spoke eloquently and so forth. And so, you know, when I hear these arguments, you know, with people criticizing Trump, I asked them, well, what moral basis do you have to criticize Trump and support Biden and Harris? Like what, what moral grand grounds do you stand on? 
And uh, oftentimes, you know, I really don't get a, a good answer. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I encourage people, you know, go, go read their platform, go look at Biden's statements. Uh, I think it's, you know, from a moral perspective, uh, you know, unless someone has a very different sense of morality, you know, I can't imagine how somebody could think that's okay. Actually, I've been very encouraged now to see even a lot of uh, Catholic clerics speaking out and saying, like, you literally cannot be a Catholic and vote for Biden. Uh, you know, Biden is openly supporting the mass slaughter of unborn children. You can't be a Catholic and support Biden. Uh, I've heard more and more Protestant ministers and evangelical pastors say that. Uh, and, you know, I, I think all people of goodwill must recognize that dismembering a, a helpless unborn child uh, is, is a monstrosity. It's an abomination. It's a horror. Like, I mean, just, you know, put the image in your mind of a, of a little baby being ripped apart limb by limb and then think, okay, which is the party that supports that? And which is the party that doesn't support that? And, and I don't say this as some kind of, you know, loyal Republican. I, I've got huge differences with the Republican party, especially with the Republican establishment. But when it comes to moral issues, uh, and yeah, you know, I'll, I'll be the first to admit too that Trump has some serious deficiencies in uh, in his own political campaigning. You know, I, I'll tell you, I was very disappointed to see him uh, brag on Twitter that he was the most pro LGBT candidate in in American history. Uh, you know, if, if people want to do things in their bedroom, that's one thing. But to say that the Supreme Court has the legitimate jurisdiction to overthrow all fifty of our state governments and our state constitutions and our state legislatures and redefine marriage in a way that, you know, has been completely alien to the human experience, even, even in pagan nations, uh, is just an abomination. And yet Trump has been promoting that. And I think that's uh, something that he needs to repent of. I think it's, it's disappointing. But when you compare overall the positions that uh, Biden is taking versus the positions that Trump is taking, I think, you know, which side uh, has the right to criticize on moral issues becomes very clear. Right. Yeah. And I would definitely challenge people to read the platform of uh, the Democrat Party as well as the Republican Party. And just ask yourself where you stand on the issues. Um, in regards to the coronavirus, Alex, uh, do you think that this was something that was spontaneous or do you think it, there was some planning into this um, in, in regards to this virus? And uh, who, who were the players if, if there was some, some planning? And do you think that it's as deadly as we're being told? I don't think it's as deadly as we're being told. Not yet. Uh, I understand from multiple sources that uh, there may be a second round of this coming along, the COVID-20 or maybe COVID-21, that may be significantly more dangerous. Um, and, and in that case, I encourage people to look into hydroxychloroquine if that's something that concerns you, because I understand from multiple sources in the medical community, including sources that are advising uh, the White House right now, that uh, that is one of the best possible options around. But my views on the coronavirus, I could summarize essentially like this. I am absolutely convinced that it was developed in a communist Chinese bioweapons lab. Uh, I think that much is crystal clear. Uh, the Wuhan Institute of Virology appears to be the prime suspect here. And of course, anybody who's followed this closely knows that Anthony Fauci and the U.S. taxpayer were deeply involved with this Wuhan Institute of Virology. So were a number of other very prominent Americans, including the head of the chemistry department at Harvard University, who was charged by the FBI for his involvement here. So we've got a lot going on there. Uh, whether it was released on purpose or not, I can't say. We don't have evidence. I, I have my suspicions, my my reasonable uh, hypothesis based on the evidence that I have seen, but I can't say, you know, I have evidence that they released it on purpose. But there's a lot of anecdotal evidence and data that I think points strongly in that direction. 
I mentioned earlier the Rockefeller report from 2010 uh, that really reads like the news today. Uh, Event 201, uh, sponsored by the World Economic Forum, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and the Bloomberg School of Public Health at Johns Hopkins University was mighty suspicious, right? They were talking about a hypothetical novel coronavirus coming out of communist China. And we now know uh, from reporting in the Epic Times, which I write for, that uh, communist China was dealing with uh, cases well before Event 201 actually started. In fact, they have uh, evidence that cases in China began at least in September. And uh, the Event 201 at the Bloomberg School of Public Health at Johns Hopkins, that took place in October of 2019. So uh, at the very least, what we can say for absolute sure is that the coronavirus has been weaponized and exploited to undermine our freedom and to advance these totalitarian global agendas, including global biometric IDs, including vaccine mandates, including uh, this lockdown on freedom. And if you read this uh, Rockefeller report that I mentioned from 2010, one of the most startling things from the lockstep scenario, Rashad, is that they actually say that even after the pandemic, these totalitarian authoritarian measures not only stayed in place, but were intensified. So people who are thinking, hey, we're just going to go back to normal once this goes away, uh, I'm afraid you are sorely mistaken. The establishment fully intends to keep this going, this tyranny going for as long as humanity will allow them to do it. Right. Yeah. I find it very telling that the uh, Rockefellers or the Rockefeller Foundation had that report written in 2010. Um, you know, when I found out about it, I was blown away. And then event 201, like you mentioned earlier, you know, you just you look at these things and you say, OK, well, they had an event in uh, October talking about a novel coronavirus and then suddenly it just breaks out the next month. You know, you got to wonder, I mean, <laughs> was this by chance, you know, and then think about probabilities. What, what you know, what's the uh, probability of that happening right then? Um, yeah. Well, Alex, uh, what, what solutions um, do you, or what should the Christian response be to all of this? Well, I, th I think God has given us lots and lots of instructions and lots and lots of ideas for what we can do uh, at all times. And, and I think some of those are especially applicable right now. And it's not that every person needs to do every single thing. You know, God uh, has explained clearly that in the body of Christ, there are many members, different people have different talents, different gifts, different skills, different abilities, different financial positions. And so, you know, everybody will have a slightly different role to play. I feel called, uh, as Ephesians 5.11 puts it, to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather to reprove them and to expose them. And so that's kind of, you know, what I do all day, every day. I reprove and I expose the, uh, the evil that is overtaking the world, at least apparently. Uh, now, you know, I think, I think the basics are uh, everybody needs to be in prayer. Everybody should be reading God's word. It is the ultimate source of truth. It is the ultimate standard upon which uh, everything else must be measured. And, uh, you know, for people who aren't doing that, I just let me encourage you and, and urge you to for your own benefit and, and, you know, for the benefit of what's right and good start, you know, and, and if you're not a believer yet, you know, God says knock and, and he'll open it for you. Uh, seek and ye shall find. So, uh, you know, just ask God to reveal himself to you. I, I tell you, I was an unbeliever. Um, until I was about 19 years old and I was so lost and I hated the truth and I hated what was right. And I was a big believer in abortion and globalism and pseudo environmentalism and all the rest of it. I was completely deceived. And yet God, uh, through his grace and his mercy, uh, decided to rescue me from that. And, uh, and I'm eternally grateful for that. So I hope everybody will be reading the word. We'll be praying. And then, you know, again, God has given us a lot of instructions for what we do at all times. We are to occupy until he comes. 
We are to resist the devil, right? We are to resist and resist and resist. Uh, and that means different things. I mean, in America, we're very blessed to be a self-governing people. And so part of resisting the devil means being involved uh, civically, you know, get get involved in elections. If you find a candidate who represents, uh, you know, what's right and what's good, who, who wants to do what's right, uh, maybe get involved in supporting their campaign. Uh, the John Birch Society is a wonderful educational organization. You know, if you feel called to help educate the American people on what's really going on, uh, that is one organization that's been in this fight for 60 plus years. It's tried and tested. They've been putting out accurate information for 60 years. No need to reinvent the wheel. So that's an option. Uh, I encourage people to get informed themselves. Uh, you know, you, you really can't do much if you don't know much. And so the cliche that knowledge is power is very true. Uh, you want to arm yourself with knowledge. And then once you're well educated, you can start educating others, your, your family, your neighbors, your community, uh, you know, get subscribed to the new American magazine, subscribe to the different publications out there, read books. And, uh, you know, ultimately just, I, I think what we all do in our own personal lives also has a big effect. So I encourage people to get involved in your church. If you're not serving somehow in, in ministry, uh, I encourage you to consider doing that. Uh, even if, even if it's something that seems small to you, you know, there, there's so much that needs to be done. Uh, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So uh, I do hope people will get involved somehow and, you know, support this podcast as well. You know, Rashad, I, I think the world of you, you're, you're just, uh, right on the money when it comes to these key issues. I've had the, the privilege of meeting you on several occasions. In fact, you organize a wonderful meeting uh, down in your neck of the woods. Uh, I think it was a couple of years ago at this point. Right. And, um, you know, so I encourage people to support this podcast, help get it out, help, uh, you know, spread it to others and, uh, you know, whatever God calls you to do, you know, you don't want to miss that call. So. Right. Absolutely. Now, Alex, where can the listeners find your work? Uh, so I'm the senior editor at the new American. And so if you don't subscribe to the print magazine, or even if you do, you can go to the new American.com. Uh, I write for the Epic times. You can go to the Epic times.com. I write for a whole bunch of different publications. I've got an, uh, an education blog at freedomproject.com. That's freedom project media. Uh, I write for the law enforcement intelligence brief. I write for world net daily, the Illinois family Institute, and, and a whole lot of different clients, uh, just released a new book uh, last week called Deep State, The Invisible Government Behind the Scenes. That'll be on Amazon very soon. And uh, if you're willing to sort through a bunch of CNN and, and other propaganda on YouTube, you can still find a lot of my videos up there, of talks I've given, sermons I've preached, um, you know, things like that. And if you go to a good search engine like DuckDuckGo, you'll be able to find a lot that I've done on there. So, right. Well, you do amazing work. I, I found out about you years ago and I remember saying to myself, man, this guy has some great research. And then, you know, I ended up meeting you years later, but um, Alex, I want to thank you for your time. Thank you for your contribution. And I hope to speak to you again. Hey, thank you so much, Rashad. I really appreciate the opportunity to come on. Uh, thank you for doing this podcast. It's, uh, you know, it's wonderful to have you involved in the fight. Really appreciate you. And I'll look forward to speaking with you soon. Definitely. God bless. God bless you too. Well, people, I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. Hopefully you walked away with uh, some enlightenment and you were educated by it. A few things I want to touch on. Um, I hope people weren't offended or I hope you don't think I was making a mockery out of uh, certain issues. I know this is a very sensitive time. There's a lot of sensitive issues. And um, I don't want you to think, you know, that I'm, I'm mocking anything or 
trying to offend anybody, but uh, I would challenge you guys to research some of these things on your own. Uh, don't just accept what anybody's telling you, but verify these things for yourself. Two good places to start would be Event 201 by the Johns Hopkins uh, Center for Security and Health. Um, Event 201 was a pandemic slash simulation exercise that was held in October of 2019. There were ex-government officials, CDC officials, etc. And um, they had this uh exercise, this pandemic exercise in which they talked about a a what if hypothetical scenario if a novel coronavirus was to break out, how would it affect the planet and um, what kind of impact it would have on in different areas. And uh, coincidentally, a novel coronavirus broke out the next month. So uh, I would challenge you guys to look into that. They even have solutions to counter the, uh, the impact of a virus. And um, some of these same solutions that they talked about in that exercise are being um, carried out now. Uh, but I find it very suspicious. I Again, I would challenge you to, to look into that. Also, there was a document called the, uh, well, by the Rockefeller Foundation report titled Scenarios for the Future of Technology and International Development. There's a section in there called Lockstep. Um, in that section, it talks about a pandemic hitting the globe and China. It says China was the first country to get this pandemic under control. The population started wearing face masks and um, governments across the globe started imposing authoritarian measures on its citizens. Now, again, this was written in 2010. Um, so, you know, I find it suspicious. I mean, you got to ask yourself, how would they know um, about uh, an event like that taking place? Um, I mean, if you look into the Rockefeller Foundation, you look into the Rockefellers, you can pretty much get an idea of who these people are, where we're, where we're going with this. And uh, you can connect some dots for yourself. Another thing to look into is the Great Reset by the World Economic Forum. There's a guy named Klaus Schwab, who's been promoting this. He's the uh, founder of the World Economic Forum. And he wrote a book called The Fourth Industrial Revolution. And he talks about this fourth revolution and says that it will be characterized by a fusion of technologies, blurring the lines between the physical, digital and biological spheres. Um, Now, these leaders, they want to reset our world. They want to reshape our world. Press, they want to press this great reset button and change or restructure the way um, our economics or our economies are, um, our society, our healthcare system, etc. Um, the question is, what do they want to reshape this world into? And uh, once you study these people and you study these organizations, you can kind of get an idea for yourself. Um, Lastly, a few other sources to go to. Check out Alex Newman's article on the Great Reset. It's called UN Back the Great Reset to Usher in New World Order. Um, And another one by the Corbett Report is called Your Guide to the Great Reset. That breaks down the Great Reset and uh, it entails or it gives you details as far as what this Great Reset entails. Again, some good sources to go to if you want to get some information on that. But this is where we're going, people. Um, I think, you know, I hear people talk to me and they say, well, you know, once this virus is over, I'm going to go back to normal. Can't wait to get my my life back and go on vacation and do this. But um, 
I try to be optimistic as optimistic as I can be. Um, but I want to be realistic too, because I know there are people with agendas out there. So the only way I see this going away or, uh, the only way I see us getting back to normalcy and getting our lives back is if people push back. I think people have to push back and get involved, get engaged, get informed and tell your government, listen, enough is enough. You know, we don't want these authoritarian measures being um, imposed on us. We still want our freedoms. We still have rights. Um, and, you know, that's the only way I see this going going away. That's the only way people do have to push back a little, because if they don't, the government will take advantage of you. They will gain more power. They will take more control. Uh, control. That's the name of the game. So, uh, like I said, get engaged, get involved, you know, raise some awareness, you know, talk to your local officials, talk to your, your neighbors, talk to your community, let them know what's going on. Once you spread this information, you know, people will start to wake up and, you know, um, hopefully we can, um, get some type of normalcy back in, in society. On that note, I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation and I will be back. So stay tuned and God bless.